Hey guys, RJ Clifford here, filling in for Jimmy Smith on Locking the Cage, Friday edition. We talked a lot about Marvin Vittori and Paulo Costa being fought at 205. On the call on that fight will be Paul Felder. We talked to him about that fight and also his beef with Marvin Vittori that was unfortunately squashed. And we also talked to MMA Junkies' John Morgan about that same fight and so much more. Hope you enjoy. Marvin Vittori and Paulo Costa. It is so rare when weigh-ins are must-watch television. Like normally must, you know, weigh-ins... Weigh-ins have really good drama. Like, weigh-ins make for great television. That's why the UFC is committed to this, like, huge weigh-in show for every pay-per-view. Where, like, they're bringing out the big guns, right? Laura Sanko, Daniel Cormier, uh, Dean Thomas. Even They're even getting R.J. Clifford involved. That's how big they are in these weigh-in shows, right? Really, really big stuff. And for pay-per-views and really big fights, it matters, right? Because I've always told myself, when I make fight picks, I always reserve the right to change it after I see the weigh-in. Because weigh-ins and the, and the fighter on the scale has that big of an effect on the fight, right? I always reserve the right. I know if I make my bets, you know, screwed. But when I'm just kind of like talking about it, I, I always reserve the right to change it after a weigh-in. Uh, most of the fight nights is not, not that interesting. But this morning, it was must-watch television at the weigh-ins at UFC Apex because Paulo Costa came in super overweight fight week and was able, through nothing but stubbornness, to get the UFC to change the fight to 205 pounds. This is a great lesson to all you fighters out there in what kind of leverage you have over the UFC. Right now, the fighters with arguably the most leverage, and not the most, because Connor does, but a couple of the fighters with some of the highest leverage over the UFC are getting nowhere. John Jones is one of the biggest draws in the sport. He's arguably the best fighter in the sport. He can fight in two weight classes. And he can't get the UFC to budge an inch to get what he wants. He can't get the UFC to get a fight for him in any weight class. Not going to get the pay raise that he wants. Now, obviously, things are complicated after his uh, you know, domestic issue that he just, his most recent, excuse me, domestic issue that he had. But then you look also at Francis Ngannou, the baddest man on the planet, UFC heavyweight champion. Looking fantastic. Just knocked out Stipe Miocic on a run of first-round knockouts before that. You'd think a guy like him would have a lot of leverage. Has the UFC belt. There's a lot of leverage that comes with that. Can't get the UFC to budge an inch. Can't get anything he wants. Every time he talks about, he's talking about issues that he has with the UFC. And yet, someone like Paulo Costa, who fights once a year, coming off of a loss, hasn't fought in a year, can waddle into Las Vegas, stroll into UFC Apex with a bunch of undeserved self-confidence and a bunch of big dick energy that I don't know where it came from, and say, I don't want to fight at this weight class. What are you going to do about it? What does the UFC do? Acquiesce. What does the Nevada State Athletic Commission do? The smallest punishment possible for missing weight. 20% of the purse that goes to Vittori. Let this be a lesson to all fighters when you try to leverage the UFC. Don't complain. Don't say, look how good I am. Pay me more. Don't say, oh, man, it's not fair that you're not doing this to me. That never gets you anywhere. When the UFC needs you, that's when you strike. Because if you look at this fight card, I'm sure there'll be some good fights. Looking forward to Dawson versus Glenn. Looking forward to... <clears throat> Francisco Trinaldo, every time he fights, interesting guy. There's a couple uh, 
there's a couple newcomers on the prelims. I'm interested to see how they're doing. So there's some there's some intrigue for me, but there isn't a whole lot of big name value or giant stakes on this card outside of the main event. Paula Costa knows that. So when he strolled into Las Vegas, super overweight, saying, I'm not going to cut. I'm not going to 185. What are you going to do? And the UFC said, damn it. And they took all nine inches. They just they just had to accept it because they're not going to let this fight card fall apart. They're not going to let this main event fall apart and ruin this fight card. So let this be a lesson to all the fighters out there. When you're trying to get what you want out of the UFC, do it when you have the most leverage. When the UFC needs someone to come in on short notice, when you're headlining a card that desperately needs you, that's when you make your move. Aspen Ladd, three weeks ago, missed weight and was rewarded with a main event fight two weeks later. Not because the UFC loves Aspen Ladd or she's a badass or because she asked for it. It's because they needed her. They needed a female featherweight when Holly Holm fell out and Aspen Ladd got the reward. Now, she lost, and it was embarrassing, and she's headed downhill. But the point is, she went from missing weight to 15 days later fighting in a main event with an opportunity to make a giant jump in a weight class where you basically only need two wins. You can get a title shot against Amanda Nunes. She was gifted that opportunity because the UFC needed her, not because she said, I'm a big draw, or because she complained about the UFC. That's how you get what you want out of the UFC. When the UFC has their pants down, you're going to be there with the belt. And that's what Paula Costa did. Now, I'm not saying this should be replicated, but to me, what better example of how bad the UFC needed Paula Costa than the fact that he got no real punishment, at least publicly, at least now. You know, we'll he'll, you know hopefully we'll hear from Dana White um, in the post-fight, uh, post-fight press conference Saturday afternoon because it's a morning show for me on the West Coast, afternoon show for you guys on the East Coast, and we'll see what happens. And we'll get into that later on in the show, like what's the future look like for Paula Costa? What weight class? What does a win mean? What does a loss mean? Because this has happened before. When Anthony Johnson missed weight against Vitor Belfort, they had to make that fight 195. Johnson gets rear naked choked. Bam, cut. Now, he's been fine ever since. Fought for World Series of Fighting. Now he's in Bellator, etc. But there's, a, there's precedence for Paula Costa getting cut. There's also precedence for nothing happening to Paula Costa. It all depends how much the UFC needs you and what leverage that you have. This is a lesson for all you fighters paying attention. Because I was ranting and raving on MMA Today yesterday that the UFC needs to just like put Costa's nuts on a cutting board and come down with an axe. You need to make an example of him. Because twice in three weeks, a fighter who has missed weight either got exactly what they wanted or a benefit they didn't even know they wanted. Aspen Land got a main event. Paulo Costa got his new weight class. The UFC should say, okay, fine. We get it. We need you, Paulo Costa. We need you in this main event. But it's a 50% fine. Uh, you know, you have to fight at 205. You're suspended for whatever. Like, they need to publicly say that. Whether they do it or not is irrelevant to me. Remember when John Jones got fined like $50,000 for one of his many transgressions like six years ago. I have no data or evidence for this whatsoever, but I don't think that money ever exchanged hands. But the fact is it was out there. The UFC said $50,000 fine. It's unacceptable. Your behavior, John Jones. The UFC needs to do that for Paulo Costa <clears throat> because 
really at the end of the day, if a fighter misses weight, it doesn't hurt anybody other than their opponent, right? Like, it doesn't affect me. They're still going to fight. As long as they fight, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect the commission. It doesn't affect the UFC. It doesn't affect the fans. It doesn't affect production. It doesn't affect the judges. It doesn't affect the referees. All it does is give that person an advantage over their opponent. And if Marvin Vittori's cool with it, then great. He's like the chillest dude in the world. Well, he's got a screw loose, but he's chill when it comes to things like this. Like, nothing's going to get him out of that cage. Nothing's going to stop him from fighting Paulo Costa on Saturday afternoon. But if Marvin Vittori caused a giant stink, if Marvin Vittori pulled a Macy Chiesa on and said, I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting this person, that's well within his right. Absolutely within his right. He would not be the bad guy, despite how much Paulo Costa's trying to make Marvin Vittori the bad guy. Vittori would not be the bad guy. If Paulo Costa came in one pound over, and Marvin Vittori said, nope, not fair. He now has an advantage over me, and that is unacceptable. He'd be right. He showed up on weight. He did what the contract said. He did what, his, well, he, did what he promised, and his opponent didn't. But if, the, if other fighters see what's going on, Aspenland misses weight, oh, got some, get a, got some main event. Paulo Costa just decided to change weight classes mid-fight week. Oh, maybe I should do that. Maybe that's something that other fighters are looking at and saying, oh, there's no consequences for missing weight. There's no repercussions for doing this. I can do whatever I want. That message can't be out. Because the next opponent who fights a fighter who's missing weight probably isn't going to be as cool as Marvin Vittori. Isn't going to be as laxed as Marvin Vittori. So if this becomes an epidemic, we're going to start losing fights. And that's really all I care about. Again, I can shame Paula Costa all day long. None of that matters. It's just Marvin Vittori, and does he feel like he's losing an advantage here? But when that starts happening later, it's going to be a major issue. Russo, what say you? I mean, I'm hoping that the, like, the UFC is, is pulling the WWE move, where we're like, we're going to let you get away with this for now, but as soon as this fight's over, you are either cut or there's going to be some kind of penalty for, mm-hmm. for Costa. Because what he's doing, yeah, G move. He rolled the dice and took a gamble and said, you know what, I could probably get away with this this week. Why not take a shot? And let's not underestimate how big of an advantage this is. Like, Martin yeah. Vittori had planned his entire camp. Like, all right, I'm going to start my weight cut on Tuesday. I'm going to start dehydrating on Wednesday. I'm going to start dieting the week before. Like, he built his whole camp to do this weight cut. And Paulo Costa's like, I'm going to skip that part. Yeah. Marvin Vittori has to do it. Or, like, he thought he had to do it. But I'm going to skip it. I mean, he now I has tru- a huge advantage. I would truly love to know the exact moment <laughs> Paulo Costa was like, you know what? Don't think we can do this, guys. I don't think I think we can get away with this. We are coming in. We are going into fight week at 211 pounds, and we'll let the UFC deal with it. If they don't want their main event, cool. If not, we'll be on weight next time. Like, I hope that uh, I hope that conversation was done at like 1:45 a.m. at a donut shop. He's like yes. hammered, <laughs> wolfing down bear claws. I'm not gonna fuck this till five. At a nice diner after after you know drinking at a bar all night long, like you know what guys, <laughs> screw the weight cut. We're just not gonna do it this time. We'll cut five pounds, five to six pounds tops is what we're gonna do this time around. I, yeah, I tweeted you just, out you earlier. Hope there's some kind of penalty, but I, I don't know. If there I was be. I was hoping Vittori would come in at like two hundred and six point point one pounds, like exactly but barely over, and just say nope, I'm not cutting the rest. Just <laughs> see, just an alpha move. It's like no, I get to the give last the twenty percent back. I was gonna say, yeah, what happens? No. You have to get twenty percent as well, or like, how does that work after that? Like, if you're both, I couldn't overweight. wait to find out. <laughs> I just like seeing the world. I want to see the fight, but I want to see the world burn before that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been crazy. And uh, 
I, the only problem would be is that he probably had to give 20% as well. I don't think he'd want to do that, but it would have been a funny move to make of like, you know what? Screw it. I'm 206. Yeah, 206. Or maybe like, maybe like he waited in 206.1 with his shorts on. Yeah. And then it was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I kind of walked back. It's like, okay, I'll do it. Takes the shorts off. Thanks, wait. Uh, would have been good I, stuff. I, I'm really shocked how Vittori just like didn't milk Costa for every dime that he could in this situation because i've had two opponents i've only fought seven times and i've had two opponents miss weight against me one time was my fourth fight and the fighter came in one pound overweight just one pound and they're like okay you have two hours to make weight he's like nope i'm not gonna do it right okay so they go to me and they're like are you cool with that like i get 10 percent of his purse because in california it's stupid the commission gets 10 percent, and the other fighter gets 10 percent Exactly. Super lame. Thanks, California. Yeah, Golden they were really State put Lions. out. They needed. They really needed that ten percent. You know, like, exactly. They were really put out by the whole thing. Yeah. A starving, you know, three fight fighter like me, like, doesn't need the extra, like, you know, four hundred bucks, like the, you know, the state of the sixth largest economy in the world needs. Thanks, California. But I said, but to me, I was stoked. I was like, yeah, ten percent of the purse, and he has a one pound advantage over me. Sign me up. Awesome. My very last fight, my seventh fight, when I fought in. Uh, RFA, I uh, my opponent DM'd me the day of the weigh-ins and said, hey, I'm having trouble making weight. Can we do this at a catch weight? And I said, fuck you, no. We're not doing that. You make that damn weight or you give me some of your money. I'm not giving you an advantage. Hell no. Sorry, James Muntasri. That shit don't <laughs> fly with me. Of course, he proceeded to whoop my ass the next day. But I still got I still got 10% of his purse. Right? You got 10% for the ass whooping. You know? I got 10% for the ass whooping. Right? You, you, you just hope that, like, Vittorious people, like, even if it's not, like, you know, trying to get 20%, 30% of the purse, what do you have seen? We're like, look, this is one of the most unprofessional things that we've ever seen. Hmm. We'll keep your main event, but you've got to pay him more now to stay on this card. He's giving him a, a, a pretty big advantage now by, by doing this. And, so you and, hope and, the that UFC, and the UFC loves to do a lot of things in secret, but whatever punishment Coast is getting should be public. It should be, like, announced from, you know, there should be a neon sign out in front of Apex pointing out to all the things that they're doing to Shaft Costa just as a message to the rest of the roster. Um, one more thought on this. Is Marvin Vittori super cool about all this and just taking the standard issue punishment, going up 20 pounds, changing the weight class, making sure all it's all smooth sailing, making sure the main event stays intact, because his manager is Ali Abdelaziz, and Ali always wants to make sure things are smooth with the UFC. If this were another manager, Russo, would things have gone as smoothly? Hard to say, but Mar Marvin just strikes me as that old school UFC mentality. I'm like, dude, I don't give a crap. Yeah. You put him in front of me, I take him out. Like He, he wasn't going to risk not getting his hands yeah. on Paulo Costa. Like oh I'm gonna suffer now because this guy's overweight. Like no I'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna get my my, my money. I'm, I'm I'm gonna get money from him too. Like he just strikes me as that old school mentality. I don't know if necessarily the manager uh, makes a difference in this case. I think that's yeah. just who he is. I think he's fighting no matter what, no matter who his manager is. Hopefully Ali Abdelaziz being Ali Abdelaziz and knowing how to play the game got some stuff for Marvin for for, for being that guy and for taking the fight and UFC keeping their main event intact. Yeah, give us, you know, like a main event, another main event next time or, you know. I, yeah, I don't know I, what I, they could. I mean, you Vittori's can get, probably, you, you gotta figure you can get undocumented favors. favors from the UFC. Like Anthony Smith talks about all the time. He's like, I've, I've been super cool with the UFC. I've been fair. But whenever they ask something of me, I've always said yes. And so when I asked for a main event in my hometown, they're like, sure, done deal. 
They, he didn't get it because of COVID, but, you know, you work with the UFC, do them some favors, they can do favors back. Like, there's, you know, sometimes they don't also, right? Sometimes, he, sometimes you yeah. come in short notice for the UFC, you lose, and like, all right, hit the trails. Sometimes that happens as well. But, again, know, have some self-awareness. Know where you stand. Marvin Vittori, super cool here. The UFC is going to remember that. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Paul Felder, who joins us now. How you doing, Paul? Yo, what's up, bro? Oh, you know, just hanging out. Um, you know. Just curious. <laughs> how many miles have you ran, swam, or biked today? Today, I biked uh, 20, I think it was 21 miles on the indoor trainer, but it was, I picked a mountain route on the Zwift, so it was like 4,000 feet of elevation. So basically, 21 miles straight up straight up a mountain and I will run after this. I got a 40 minute run, but I did 10 mile run yesterday and a 4,000 yard swim. I walked to the fridge and back twice. So I feel like we're on, I feel like we're on the same, same training schedule there, Paul. Bro, same, same thing. Just, it's, it's just all about your, your mental state when you do these things. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, it was a dead sprint though, to get that ice cream. Like, Yo, it was, I, I was, bet. I bet it was dead. Bad. Dead sprint. Yeah, I got I to gotta get some beers out of there after the show, too. How, did your, how, how's your body hang up? Um, like, how's your body handle triathlons versus fighting? Like, I got to imagine there's got to be some wear and tear in triathletes, but maybe not after, like, a, an MMA career. Yeah, I think it helped to go through, you know, uh, a professional career where grown men try to beat the crap out of me for a living. <laughs> because then... You know, triathlon is just difficult in the way that it's, it, you know, it's hard on the cardiovascular system. Your your calves will be sore. But, I mean, I'd rather have some sore calves and, and sore shoulders from swimming than, you know, my nose plastered on the other side of my face or a broken yeah. orbital bone and, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it's 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 definitely wearing in, on the energy systems, I'd say, a lot more. Um, sure. Um, I, could, I could be in bed by 9 o'clock almost every freaking night on a, on a a long training day and it drives my girlfriend and family more crazy because obviously it's longer distances require longer time. So it, this hobby of mine has become uh, something that keeps me away from, from people sometimes even more than, than fighting did, hmm. but at least I'm home. I'm in the garage when I'm doing it half the time, just come out and sure. hang out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's their fault. Really. If you yeah. think about it, RJ, it's their oh, fault. Dude, picky bastard. So selfish. Everyone you know, around you, just, just sit in the garage. Get yeah. over yourself. <laughs> well, also, I think, like, more to your point, like, um, not as big of a spectator sport, triathlon <laughs> you know? Like, oh, fuck yeah, Paul Felder's fighting? Like, you can sell tickets easy. Like, yeah. hey, you want to watch me swim, run, and bike for eight hours? Like, eh, a little no. tougher of a sell, I imagine. I know. It's a tough sell to my friends, trust me. Uh, <laughs> I usually have to coax them in with, as soon as it's done, uh, we can drink all the beers there will there there are in the world, and, and that usually will get my buddies uh, pretty amped up to go to just about anything. Sure. Uh, so yeah, but you know, if my mom likes it because she just gets to go to the finish line, see me cross the finish line, forget the 
the hours that I've just been absolutely killing myself. Yeah. And she knows that, you know, I'm not going to be in the hospital afterwards. However, close call on the last one because I did Uh-oh. crash my bike on the Atlantic City Expressway when that's where the race took place. It was an AC, dude. I bit it so bad <laughs> off a traffic cone. I went over my handlebars, plant it right into the ground. Luckily, I know how to fall from years of karate, judo, wrestling, all this shit. I rolled through it, scraped up my hip real bad, but bike, my canyon bike stayed together. Got back on that thing and, and finished the, the race in uh, the top top ten in my age group. So, poor, poor Mrs. Felder. She's like, "All right, little Paul is now no longer fighting. He's gonna do something safe." And then, bam, you go ass over tea kettle <laughs> on a bike. Poor woman can't win. Oh man, yeah. When I told her, she was she was not happy. We we kept it a secret pretty much because Christine, my girlfriend, she knew because when I ran by on the boardwalk for the, the the rum portion of the race i got to say hi to everybody and they're on the boardwalk and all that shit can i curse i shouldn't curse i shouldn't curse is it okay if it's I curse? Fu- say whatever the fuck you want it's satellite all right perfect and uh but she could see that my hip was bleeding and there was a giant tear on my shoulder on my tri suit so she just kept her mouth shut she's like oh oh man that yeah. that's why his little blip stopped moving on the tracking device because <laughs> you can track you know friends and family and stuff like that yeah so yeah, I scared I scared the crap out of them. They knew something was up. Oof. <clears throat> well, one guy that I don't imagine was doing a lot of running, swimming, or biking. No. <laughs> Paul Acosta, right? How's that yeah. for a transition? Yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly. As soon as you just said that, it's like okay. I, I yeah. mean, you know, this is all we we know what this is, right? I mean, we're going to talk a lot a lot about it on the broadcast tomorrow and everything, but. Mm-hmm. It's clearly a, a move on purpose, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious to everyone that, like, he's making a statement. He's not just he, – he, I'm sure there may be some reasons on why he was heavier or whatever, but I think he's just trying to give a give a middle finger. Because this, this is the part of it, Felder, that's – so, like, I'm a re- lifelong wrestler, right? So, like, making weights like a religion, right? So there's the part of just, like, shaming somebody for not being professional, not making the weight, not doing their job. There's that part. But that's all based on making sure a fight is fair. That's why there's weight yeah. classes. That's why there's weigh-ins. Like, we're not just – this isn't one championship. We can just say what weight we are and go fight it. Like, okay, let's make sure this – you know, everyone got their medicals. That You both have two arms and two legs, and you both weigh the same. Okay, this is a fair fight. This is no longer a fair fight tomorrow, Paul. Like, this is not no. a fair fight. Paulo Costa cheated. He's going to lose 20% of his purse, but he cheated and now has an advantage over Marvin Vittori because he planned on being 20 pounds overweight. Marvin Vittori was planning this whole training camp to weigh a certain weigh 185 when he when he promised. That's what's most infuriating me. Like I'm let's shame Paul Paulo Costa all day all day long, but the guy I fear, feel for the most is the guy complaining the least, and that's Marvin Vittori. Yeah, you know, and it's crazy because coming into this fight week, you know, I had the little controversy with Marvin on our little you know, which I think got so blown out of proportion, it's ridiculous, right? He was okay. mad at me over some things I said. I said a smart-ass thing back. That was really the end of it. The media obviously took it because it's fun stuff to run with. But sure. at the end of the day, Marvin Vittori, even from me, who's had a little moment with him, we, first of all, squashed all that in the fighter meetings. No big deal. No raised voices. You know, moving on. But I, I want to say that's good news, but I was kind of hoping it would escalate, to be honest. No, no, it, it yeah. really didn't. It, it was pretty... Uh, it was pretty cut and dry, and, and you know, even the producers, Zach in the room, got it cleared up. Like, hey, all right, say what you guys have got to say. Let's move on, mm-hmm. and we did. Um, but you know, credit to him, dude. This guy doesn't have for 
any reason, he, if he just was like, no, I'm not doing this, you couldn't really blame him because of the uh-huh. way this all planned out. So I think a lot of credit, and I'm sure we're going to give a lot of credit to him tomorrow. I know Michael Bisping can't stop talking about it. He's like, this dude's a G, man. Like, he doesn't yeah. have to take this fight. He just wants to fight so bad, and I'll give him credit. That That's him. And Costa, it's ridiculous. I mean, come on, dude. To show up that overweight and then you, you try to say that it's the UFC that's like we need a catch weight, they're like, yeah, because they know it's impossible for you the way you're acting to even come close to making the weight class that you signed to make. Yep. Talking to Paul Felder Ridiculous. here on Unlocking the Cage, RJ Clifford in on a Friday. Uh, real quick, um, how did, like specifically, if you're willing to go into it, how did it go with you and Marvin at, at the, uh, it's very Zach of Zach to the producer to say like, okay, squash this now so we can get to business. Yeah. I was curious if like you would extend the olive branch first, Marvin would, cause we had him, I had him on my show on Tuesday and he's like, yeah, he said the same thing you did blown out of proportion. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm just kind of curious how that, how that went. Yeah. So yeah, he, he extended it to Marvin to clear the air. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Marvin started and he just kind of to my face on zoom, you know, we're doing the meeting. So we didn't get to do it face-to-face like everybody assumed it would be it was obviously mm-hmm. virtual fighter meetings but we could see each other and talking to me and he's just like look i didn't like how you didn't give um uh, oh my god i'm gonna blank on the name of course right now <laughs> fought just fought nasrat oh my god nasrat hackspress yes uh, a fair shake and get really give him the credit for all of the, the, the unfortunate stuff he had to go through with his mother passing away all the travel issues that he did and that, you know, that I had mentioned something in the um, uh, fight with Izzy that he didn't like how I mentioned his, his physique or something, almost alluding to that he was cheating or something like that. And I explained, of course, after that, that by no means was that ever my intention if I'm talking about your physique or how in shape you look in a fight. And it's me just saying that you're prepared for this five-round title fight, you know? Yeah. Um, so we got past that. And then I said, you know, just I, I apologize for kind of how I was smirky on Twitter. Right. That was a low blow. And I get that he gets this <laughs> unfortunate stereotype where everybody's kind of making him out to be this meathead, which, of course, the guy's not. He's speaking two languages. First of all, he's living in the United States. He's an Italian. So credit there. And I was like, look, I thought we were just having a bit of fun. And he's like, bro, it's, you don't even need to apologize. It's whatever. It's just these are the things I didn't like. I thought it was a little biased, not as fair. And uh, I just told him that at no point is it ever our our purpose to do that. Like, I'm never trying to take a side. If it comes across that way, sure. you know, it's all in the moment. And we're in, we're also entitled to our opinions. And you don't have to like them, unfortunately. That's how it works, right? And that's kind of what Zach said, too. It's like, look, by no means is he a puppet. I can tell you firsthand that, you know, nobody is telling these guys what to say, that these are their opinions. So, and that was it. And Michael Bisbing graciously jumped in and was like, listen, I don't give a fuck. Let's move on. And um, <laughs> all the fighter meetings and it broke the, broke the tension in the room. We all cracked up and got on about it. Leave it up to Bisbing. To, uh, it, to it like, was kind of perfect yeah. timing though, for him to be like, all right, cool. You love him. He loves you. Shut the fuck up. Let's get, let's, <laughs> let's get on with the show. <laughs> well, same way. Let's shut the fuck up about this and talk about, uh, cause all the bullshit aside, we've got a fun fight tomorrow. Marvin Vittori and Paulo Costa. Um, when I look at this fight, I think of like two guys that game plan terribly, but should lead to make a really exciting fight, right? Like I don't see these guys like I don't see these guys adjusting to each other, just kind of being themselves, and that should make it more fun. Let's say you. 
Yeah, and I, I think what makes this more fun, too, is that I legit think Vittori wants to, to hurt this guy now. Like, he oh, is yeah. furious. Oh, yeah. And he even said, you know, leading up to this, and I'm sure he said it in some of the media outlets during the uh, fighter scrum, that he wants to punch, punch his face in. Like, he wants this to, to stand on the feet for quite a bit. And we'll see if that's talk, right, to get him to mm-hmm. think that, if he's playing head games himself. Because if that's true and he does want to slug it out with a guy like Costa, sign me up. I mean, yeah. we'll we'll put all this weight miss crap aside, and we're going to let these two monsters uh, sling leather at each other. And if that if that goes on like that, it might only last a couple rounds, but shit, it'll be it'll be barn burner and exciting while it's going on. Yeah, I think like you said, the biggest winner out of all this is Marvin Vittori. Like he's like. MMA fans number one hero right now because he's like, like whatever yep. I'll take this fight like I don't care instead of like uh, threatening to pull out of the fight or ask for money he's like no I'll get my revenge in fighting like, I get to put my paws on this guy and like just for context three weeks ago Macy Chason said no to fighting Aspen Ladd because Ladd missed weight by one pound this is 20 uh-huh. pounds and Vittori's like yeah. whatever I'm throwing down I don't care and said it from the beginning, a lot of guys, like you said, that, that would be a negotiation tactic. Boom, one-on-one right there. Things are not going to be as I agreed for them to be. It's a time in a main event slot on a fight card where they need a guy like Polo Costa and Marvin Vittori. They need them to headline. Not that saying there's not fantastic fighters you know, all over this card, but they need this, these names at the top of the, the marquee here for this one. Yeah. And. You know, it really could have been a, an excuse for this to drag on and get ugly and, and potentially really throw a wrench in things. But credit to Vittori for being like, look, no, whatever it's going to be, I don't care. He wanted it 195. He knew damn well in the back of his head that Costa was going to end up wanting to bump it up. We're lucky that it landed on 205 at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so I think, you know, I, when I put my analyst hat on, I look at this matchup and I think I like Costa early. I think his kind of like slugging, right body kick, kind of bruising, straightforward style will give Vittori some problems early. But I think the cardio and durability of Vittori, like Vittori's never been finished in like, what, 26 fights or whatever it is. And his cardio, I think, is going to last him long, and he finishes Costa late. Do you, kind of like, do, you, do you also think Costa early, Vittori late is kind of how this fight could play out? Yeah, so right. I can't make a prediction is the only thing, sure. but I can talk about how I think it's going to play out. Yeah, I think... Uh, for sure, Paulo's got to be aggressive early and try to get him out of there because you show up as heavy as you did. That a I question your cardio immediately. Sure. Now you're carrying extra weight that you're not used to performing at. You know it's gonna those arms are gonna fill up quicker than normal. He likes to throw big explosive shots, that big kick like you're talking about, big punches, pressure guys. And Vittori just he's a grinder, man. In his last fights, I mean, what two or three of his last fights all have been five rounds decisions. He's used to knowing how to wrestle, dig deep. Even when he's exhausted, he knows how to push that pace. When you think, oh, he's finally going to gas out, Vittori finds a way to to find that extra energy. So mm-hmm. the longer this fight goes, the better it goes for for Marvin Vittori, and the more he can really make Paulo Costa potentially suffer for what he did here this week. Yeah, I feel like a long, drawn-out ass-kicking is what Marvin Vittori is going to dream about when he oh, rests yeah. his head on the pillow at that uh, Holiday Inn Express in Las Vegas. Like, <laughs> that's that's what he's dreaming about tonight. Thanks, Paul. Have fun tomorrow. All right, buddy. I'll see you soon. 
This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. John Morgan, how you doing, John? I'm good, man. Wild morning. It's been a, it's been a wild week for this one, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, John, you're at every single event. You've been, to, you know, countless MMA events, countless MMA weigh-ins. I imagine I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put words in your mouth, John, but I imagine a weigh-in is probably real low on the scale of events that you go to. But the weigh-in today was the rare instance where it was must-see viewing with everything going on with Costa and Vittori. No, you're spot on. We were all talking about it beforehand. Like, I don't remember that much anticipation in a weigh-in in a long time. Just, you know, waiting to see what Paulo Costa would actually come in at, waiting to see what Marvin Vittori would come in at. You know I mean? Just so wild to go from, you know, a 185 fight early in the week to a 195 to a 205 on the, on the eve of the fight. Uh, you know, I just don't remember a lot of situations like this. It was pretty wild. Of course, we couldn't wait for them to actually get on the stage together and face off, and it delivered. I can't remember, John, and if you can, please tell me, a situation like this where a fighter came in, not on short notice, with a, a fully booked training camp, that much overweight and that laissez-faire about it, and the consequence being a simple 20% purse deduction. Like, I, I've never, I don't think, I, I can't remember ever seeing this scenario. No, you're right, especially because of all the details you laid out. I mean, of course, we've seen some adjustments to weights on fight week and to misses mm-hmm. and those sort of things, but this is such an egregious miss. And, and also just the way, and, and listen, I'm not trying to insult Paulo Costa here. He's a phenomenal fighter. He's put on some great performances. But as you said, just kind of the way he handled it was so puzzling, you know, even kind of making it like it was up to Marvin Vittori. You know, he came into his media day, and we said, hey, listen, Marvin says you're heavy and you're and he's worried, you know, that this is going to happen. And, and Paulo kind of laid a challenge out there, like this fight will happen if he's man enough to take it. You know, and it was like, hold on, man, I think you're reading the room a little bit wrong here, man. Like, you're yeah. the one that was supposed to show up at 185. And I do understand, you know, I asked him directly, hey, what is going on? What, why can you not make weight? He said, I'm not going to say until after, but I will tell you after. And I can respect that because if there's an injury or something like that, you don't want to give your opponent a target. So I, I give him that. But then for this thing to switch to 195 and then 205, and if you noticed last night on, on, on social media, it was almost like he was kind of making some jokes as he was cutting weight. It's just... It, to be honest, it's just unprofessional. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it, man. It's unprofessional and it's, and it's unfortunate. Well, look, um, like I'm all for shaming Paulo Costa for the miss. Like I think every single person outside of Brazil is rooting for Marvin Vittori tomorrow. But the, the main reason why there are weight classes is to make sure fights are fair. Like That's the main point of the weigh-in, to make sure both fighters are roughly the same weight when they fight. This was an egregious move by Paulo Costa, which drastically affects the actual fight. Like, this isn't half a pound and, you know, letter of the law, we got we to gotta punish him. This is him drastically affecting the fairness of the fight on Saturday. And so when I, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, the, either the UFC or the Nevada Athletic Commission needs to come down on Paulo Costa to make an example of him because this isn't an accident. This is drastically affecting the fight. He got just the basic punishment, 20% of the purse. Maybe there's something happening behind the scenes. But more to my point is... Other fighters on the roster are seeing Aspen Ladd three weeks ago miss weight and be rewarded with the main, main event. Polo Costa coming in laissez-faire about his weight, still getting a fight and the, and the smallest possible punishment for missing weight. This is a bad message. Send to the rest of the roster, John. 
It really is, to be honest with you. And I'm with you. I hope there's something more being done for Marvin Vittori behind the scenes besides just that 20%. I think he's deserving of so much more. I will say this, you know, I guess the one positive out of it, man, I don't know if I've ever seen this much positive press for Marvin Vittori before. You know, he's kind of sure. gotten some hate over the years, and I think everybody supports him. So that's a good thing. But what you said is right. I mean, at the end of the day, this is, you know, a dangerous sport that's played here. And we want to make it as safe as possible, make sure everything's okay. And, you know, as you said, I mean, this changed an entire weight class. And, you know, Marvin Vittori spent his entire time, you know, getting his body prepared to be the 185 pounds. And we don't know if Paulo Costa did that. And what's the weight going to be tomorrow? You know, what are they actually going to step yeah. into the cage at? Are they actually both at their walk-around weight right now? Or did Paulo cut a different amount of weight? to get there. So it is an issue and it does send a bad message. Like I said, I hope behind the scenes that Marvin Vittori is getting more than just 20%. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think, you know, it's something needs to be done. I do have a feeling uh, come tomorrow evening when USC president Dana White sits down in front of us in the uh, media room there at the USC Apex. I imagine there may be a little bit more public shaming going on at that point. I imagine he might have a word or two to say. I mean, right now, clearly they want to keep that fight together. It's, it's you know, yeah. you don't really have a co-main event that would be worthy of elevating to main event status. No disrespect to Grant Dawson or Ricky Glenn, um, but it's just not on the level of top contenders, Paula Costa and Martin Matois. I think the UFC wanted to keep this fight together at all costs, but I got to think there's going to be some, some repercussions afterward. Yeah, again, like anything, like any punishment for Paula Costa short of pulling him from the fight, I'm all for. Because at the end of the day, like, what do fans want the most? Like, just give us the best fights. And you're right. Like, without this main event, like, you know, this this card takes, you know, a major kick in the ass. So at least the fight's happening, and that's the most important thing, even if it is kind of tainted and unfair, benefiting Paulo Costa. But if you are Dana White, John, um, what would you do with Paulo Costa? Is, do you, like, what, what do you think would be – because I don't want to see him cut. Like, he's, he's still 13-1. and one. Yeah. He still has 12 finishes. Like, let's not cut off our nose despite the face. But something needs to happen. What do you think that should be? I mean, you know, right away I'd push for him to stay at light heavyweight, if I'm being honest mm -hmm. with you. It's not exactly like his other weight cuts have all been smooth along the way. It's not like this was yeah. just a, you know, a shocking thing. He's a big guy. It's a hard cut for him, you know. So I would definitely be saying, hey, you know, you're, you're a light heavyweight moving forward. And let me be honest with you. I don't think that's a bad thing for Paulo Costa right now. You know, it's, sure. it's a different thing with John Jones out of the mix. You know, a, a middleweight that maybe needs a fresh start moving up to light heavyweight, knowing that John Jones is laying on the end of that, that's not really much of a benefit. But with John Jones out of the division, it's a little more open at the top. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's a bad thing for Paulo Costa. I really do think they should be pushing him to go to light heavyweight. I'm with you. I don't think they necessarily, you know, need to cut him. Obviously, you're going to offer the services of the PI and everything that's over there, whether or not Paulo Costa takes him up on it. Is up to him, but I think the UFC should really be pushing for Paulo to, to, to move the light heavyweight permanently. Yeah, I mean, this might be a weird blessing in disguise. It's not like anyone's clamoring for Israel Adesanya, Paulo Costa, too. So maybe some fresh matchups right. in a fresh weight class would be good for him. <clears throat> Excuse me, talking to USA Today's John Morgan here on Unlocking the Cage. So tomorrow, that's the UFC. Bellator, Fedor, fighting again tomorrow. And I just got done talking about the last, you know, in the last segment, Daniel Cormier got some heat for saying, you know, Fedor. Um, you know, maybe he, you know, he probably wouldn't have done that well in the UFC in that specific time frame. I think it's fair to say, like, I think, I don't think Daniel Cormier was off basis when he said, I think he beats Brock Lesnar, but loses to Cain Velasquez. I'm a hundred percent with him on that one. Um, what do you make right now of Fedor's legacy and like what he did from 2000 to 2009 and still fighting in the second half of half of his career at 45? Is there still intrigue for you? Is he hurting his legacy? Like, where do you stand on Fedor in 2021? There's intrigue for me just because of the mystique. It is still Fedor Emelianenko. Do, you know, do I expect him to be competing at a high level at this point? No. And to be honest with you, while I respect him for wanting to face Tim Johnson, it was kind of a head-scratcher to me in terms of matchmaking. But 
you know, I guess that's the kind of guy Fedor is. He said, look, I don't want some of these, you know, don't match me up with a fellow old-timer or something like that. You know, he's like, yeah. I want to face contenders, legitimate contenders, and that's what he's doing here. So I have a lot of respect for him, I'll be honest with you. I'm picking against him in this particular matchup. I mean, he's mm-hmm. certainly capable of winning. He still has power in his hands. He still has a, a fantastic clinch game. You know, there's, there's, there's ways for him to win, and, you know, you've got the added thing of, of Tim having to do the travel to Russia and all that. Yep. So, you know, there's some things that could line up. So, personally, yes, I'm intrigued. But, you know, like you, man, we've been around the sport for a long time. I remember the glory days. So a newer fan sure. to the sport, I could understand, might not understand the legacy of Fedor Milanico, and that's okay. And I think it's always difficult to talk about people outside of different eras, you know, because this game is just evolving so quickly. The sport is moving along. I mean, we saw what Hoist Gracie did when he came back later on, right? But you're never going to take away from Hoist Gracie and say he's not one of the greats. He is. Yeah. So things change and things evolve and things get better. And so, yes, would Fedor Emelianenko today, you know, be the, the number one heavyweight in, in, in the world? I, I don't know. Maybe not, you know. But to try to take away what he accomplished during that time, I think it's wrong. I mean, the man is an all-time great, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, likely the greatest of his era. You know, we didn't get the cross-promotional matchups. But let's not forget, pride was bigger than the UFC back then. The sure. heavyweight division was unbelievable. You look at that run that he was on, you're going to see a whole lot of recognizable names on there. So, yeah, you know, there is still intrigue for me, but, you know, it's just, to me, I think it's just a novelty of, like, man, this is one of those all-time greats that we're not going to get to see much more of, so enjoy it while it's here. Um, but, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm concerned how these last couple fights are going to play out. I don't, I don't know. You know, you know very well, man, the sport doesn't produce a whole lot of Cinderella stories, right? And yeah. Sometimes you get some bad endings, and so we'll just keep our fingers crossed that that's not what happens with Fedor. Luckily with Fedor, it seems like his motivations are in the right place. Like he's fighting because he just generally wants to compete and not like he's broke and just taking paychecks somewhere. Like it feels like it feels like Fedor is fighting for the right reasons, which which helps me a lot. Um, he's on the very short list, John, of fighters that are most fun to get nostalgic about, like just the great mm-hmm. moments and the great times, like you know the great performances, um, especially because like he wasn't Matrix mode invincible like Anderson Silva in his in his heyday, like. He almost lost a lot of fights that he shouldn't have been. What's your favorite Fedor moments? Or at least Kevin Randleman. Yeah. Kevin Randleman. No question about it. I mean, does it get any better than that? I mean, that's yeah. just one of the all-time <laughs> greatest highlights, you know, and, and it's a highlight for both men, you know, and it's yep. uh, that's definitely the highlight. I mean, listen, you, there's so many great matchups. Though. You, you, you talk about, again, the names that were over there, the Krokops, the Nogueras. I mean, but th- that, that Randleman moment is one of the greatest of all time. It was it was something pretty, and it perfectly encapsulated him, right? Like he was, yes. phys- like he was fighting someone bigger than him, almost lost, turned it around, got a submission, like just so so Fedor. Um, That's it. La- last one, John. Um, I don't know if you saw, but two nights ago, Diego Sanchez was on Twitter, and it warmed my heart. His just like fifty tweet kind of the best <laughs> is this, the best is that, because it was like the most Diego Sanchez thing like I've ever seen. And because he's had so many highs and lows, like, if it were any other fighter, John, I'd be like, oh, my God, what's wrong? Like, are they okay? Are they drunk? Are they on peyote? Did their dog die? But with Diego Sanchez, it's like, that's normal Diego. And, it, like, it feels good to me. I agree with you, man. I did see it. It was amazing. It was, it was so fun to watch. And Diego Sanchez is such a character. And I'm happy to see this, man, because... No, Diego's another one of those legends of our sport that, of course, is an incredibly unique uh, character. But this whole Joshua Fabia phase, man, it just seemed like yeah. there was such negativity around him. And that's what bothered me about it because Diego was always this 
almost to a fault positive guy. And then you had all this kind of negative energy around him. So for that to be gone and him out here telling me what his favorite cakes are and why croissants are amazing, I mean, come on. <laughs> you can't get it. That's, that's Diego Sanchez. I'm, I'm glad to see that guy back, man, because it felt like some dark times for him. And you're right, man. It was a, it was a little bit of craziness, but it was the right kind of craziness from Diego. Uh, catch the man on MMA Junkie slash USA Today. He'll be uh, covering the fights tomorrow in Las Vegas. Follow him also on Twitter at MMA Junkie John. Thanks for coming on, John. Appreciate it. Pleasure, brother. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.